none of these methods mean that you have to, you know, if you pick one, you have to stick with it forever. You, you change you, as your family focuses change, as your situations change, as your kids grow, as you as a homeschooler become a more confident home educator, you might find yourself transitioning. Welcome back to the You Can Homeschool podcast, where Pat Fenner and Tracy Hegerman candidly discuss all things homeschooling, the good, the bad, and the brilliant. Go ahead and grab your favorite drink, find a cozy spot, and join this week's lively discussion. Welcome back to You Can Homeschool. I'm Tracy Hagerman, and we're here today for another episode. So Pat Fenner and I are going to speak to you today about the different types of homeschooling. So different homeschooling styles that you can um, utilize. So some of them that we're going to talk about are ones that we used. And then we're also going to highlight a couple others that maybe we are aware of that but we didn't use ourselves because I think every family is unique and different Mm -hmm. and different things work better for different families. And um, so we just wanted to present to you today with the objective of letting you know that there are many ways and many styles. Um, Some people say there's six styles. Some people say there are 10. Um, It just depends. So we're going to go through them and I'm going to start with the first one that we talk about is traditional homeschooling. And so this is the type of homeschooling that most people do when they first start homeschooling. And it all starts with setting up a room as your homeschool room, and then thinking, oh, schooling, my child needs a desk, (laughs) and getting it set up with a desk, and then binders and books and pencils and markers and protractors and all those things that we typically associate with school. But even though that's the traditional way of starting out homeschooling, what I learned, and I'm sure talking to Pat, the same thing in her house, <laughs> what we learned is very quickly that type of homeschooling changes into a different style of homeschooling for very good reason. So I'm going to let Pat go to the second type of homeschooling that they've utilized. Yeah, I would actually want to just do a caveat on that. And, uh, I wouldn't call that traditional homeschooling as much as school at home, you know, because like Tracy, how how she's describing it is totally accurate. We tend to try to replicate what's in the classroom in our home. And as also as Tracy correctly pointed out, you quickly discovered that doesn't work. So that's, you know, that's why it's a, it's a definitely a school at home thing. And yeah. Okay, so the second one that we wanted to talk about was, and I love this concept, and it's kind of a newish concept, uh, two of them, road schooling and world schooling. And oh my gosh, I'll tell you, if I had to do it over, I would try to do it more this way. Now, road schooling and world schooling aren't so much a methodology as a framework, like where you're going to be homeschooling. So like in traditional homeschooling, uh, how Tracy was talking about, you set a school room up and all that. With road schooling, typically your schoolroom is an RV, 
that you are pulling behind you or driving or whatever. And road schooling is exactly what it talks about. It's learning on the road. It is so popular right now. If you go on Facebook, you will find road schooling groups. You'll find world schooling groups. You'll find websites that talk about this. People, you know, blog and write about their experiences and stuff. And it doesn't really limit you to a style of schooling. It's more of where you are. But the fact that you're school room per se is always moving gives you amazing opportunities for learning wherever you are and uh you know the obvious ones would be geography and things like that as you as you're traveling but culture history if you're fortunate enough to be able to do world schooling actually on instagram there's a a girl and i wish i could if i can remember it i'll put it in the in the show notes there is a young girl who's homes who's world schooled who writes a uh shares on Instagram, they go literally all over the world. It is a fascinating, fascinating uh, Instagram to follow. She is like at least bilingual and she might be trilingual. So some of her posts are actually in a foreign language. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I'll put that there for world schooling. So that's the second one, which is really trendy, road schooling, world schooling. Gosh, if you can do it, even if you can do it just for a semester or a year or a summer or whatever, you just open up the world and, and give your kids the understanding that learning is so much more than sitting in a classroom. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. A lot of people say, well, that sounds great, but how do you fund that? Like, how do you just take a year mm -hmm. and go away or whatever? And um, there's two ways to do it. One is oftentimes one of the parents might have a job that they can do from anywhere. So if they can, mm -hmm. you know, check in somewhere or pull up somewhere where they can get a Wi-Fi uh, connection, they're able to spend a few hours each day working from wherever they happen to be. So that works. And the second one is um, I, uh, through our church, uh, there's a family and their children were going to traditional school, um, but the parents were both um, teachers themselves. And what they did is they had time that they could take. Um, I forget how you do that. They had their, their income uh, spread out across four years, but three of those years, they were actually working. And one of their years was like a sabbatical. Mm. So they used that time, pulled their own uh, girls out of school and spent one year traveling. And um, so that was their first exposure to homeschooling. So they were asking me all kinds of questions. And I'm like, you're on the road, you're going to be doing whatever. So besides like reading and math, most of the things that they learned were through visit visiting the places they were in and researching the places they were in. And yeah. if I could just interrupt for a second, a third way of funding that because it's such a popular and I'll have to say trendy format right now, there are bloggers who make their money on talking about, you know, uh, highlighting places that they go to when they're homeschooling or products that they're using on the road and use paid sponsorships to fund their this experience. So that's another option to look into. Yeah. And the nice thing about it is it can be something that you do for a couple months mm -hmm. or, you know, a year or over a number of years. And so the flexibility is absolutely there for, for people to do that. So it sounds really exciting. I mean, I'd say in our personal case, our road, road schooling involved, put your books in the car, we're going to the dentist's <laughs> office. <laughs> And so, but hey, that's a form of road schooling too. <laughs> okay, so there's another one called um, the Montessori uh, homeschooling, and here in Canada, the Montessori method is really popular in in preschoolers mm -hmm. um, or daycare, and then 
can be used um, onwards and upwards from there. And the big thing about um, the Montessori um, homeschooling is it has to do the best way I can describe it. My friend had a daycare that she ran a Montessori uh, preschool and she had all these stations. So there might be a Lego station. There might be a magnet station. There might be a writing on chalkboards with, uh, you know, colored chalk. So she had all these stations and it was basically driven by the, the children being drawn to a certain space a station. So they could choose, there was a lot of choice in what the child, where they spent their time. And there's also a lot of modeling techniques that are used. So, you know, you're showing them, okay, let's, let's build something with, with only blue Lego. And so the, the, the facilitator, they often call it, or the caregiver will just be modeling things and sometimes explaining, sometimes not, and seeing if the kids um, can follow um, that and if, yeah. I'm, if I'm correct, that kind of lends itself more to elementary, preschool, younger years learning. Isn't that right? Yes. And um, what they found, though, is it's it's a lot of hands-on learning. Like, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. It's active. Like, they're not sitting watching a video or listening mm-hmm. to someone read. It's very active and participative. And what they found is a lot of kids who start out with that type of schooling often are some of the more creative kids as they go on mm-hmm. in school. So it kind of broadens their mind um, to more things. That's that's what some of the research has shown. So um, I we were in a homeschool co-op for a while. And so we had younger groups and that's what we would do. We would do a Montessori type with setting up stations and that. And that was one of the one of the most favorite classes of the kids, to be that honest. Makes- they were always key, really keen to get there. So mm-hmm. that makes um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that is really nice about the Montessori um, method is it really has respect for each child's learning style. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another thing that's incorporated. And it and the guidance is always focusing on positive behavior. So things are reinforced that the kids are doing well. So, so I, I like it. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. I can't, I don't know if I was actually using it with my kids when they were that uh, young, like maybe not with my first, but uh, as the other ones came along and I was doing school with one, that was definitely something that I would set up for the other ones who were, who were younger that worked really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good. All right. Let's see the next one on our list. What do you have next? Uh, I have classical method here. Uh, if you're if you're ready, I'll go ahead and move move forward with that one. Uh, that's a very um, I guess I, I don't know historical. I guess I could use the word. I don't know. It's based on actually Greek and Roman learning styles. Uh, the rhetorical method, having uh, children's uh, you know teaching things and then having children repeat them back or not repeat them, but give them in, in, in their own words. A lot of speaking, uh, a lot of, uh, let's see, the, the, all the subjects are interwoven. So you don't really have like a math period per se and science and history, it's all interwoven. And, and also the emphasis is on chronological order. You're doing things in chronological order. Uh, we did it for a time. I love the classical method and the, the in terms of the modern presentation of the classical method, Susan Weisbauer is definitely your go-to. Uh, she had a book about uh, the well-trained mind, which is what I started in our homeschool. But then there's also a program called Classical Conversations, which is if you want to do that format with with others, it's like a, co- a 
classical co-op and you meet once a week and then you work on your own as a family. And that's, that's something that's uh, the, the classical method is not hard to implement. It's very literature and reading based though. So there's a lot of time that you're going to be spending on uh, reading. And it also emphasizes uh, and it emphasizes the classics in terms of what you're reading, but it also emphasizes teaching Latin uh, as, and or Greek and or Hebrew. Some Christian families uh, add Hebrew to that. The Latin studies are really good because it helps vocabulary. And, and there's a lot of studies that have shown that kids who learn Latin roots and Latin words uh, and understand the roots of our language are able to read better, spell better, uh, just have a higher vocabulary and things like that. So classical method is the thing also about CC, about classical conversations. If you have never homeschooled before, they offer a lot of tutoring to the parents in terms of what to do on the days you're not meeting. So when we were in it, it really helped new homeschooling families kind of get, get an understanding of what to do during the week because they were like, what do we do? Uh, and then you can always move on from them. None of these, I should say, mention this too, that none of these methods mean that you have to, you know, if you pick one, you have to stick with it forever. You, you change, you as your family focuses change, as your situations change, as your kids grow, as you as a homeschooler become a more confident home educator, you might find yourself transitioning to certain methods. So that's a freebie that has nothing to do with classical, but I just felt prompted to, to say, point that out. So that's classical method uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so the next one that we hear about often is something called unschooling. And when I first heard that term, I erroneously thought it was, oh, they're just hanging around, I don't know, playing video games, not doing anything. They're like anti-school. Mm -hmm. And that is not correct at all. Um, basically, one of the huge proponents of unschooling was a, uh, from a gentleman named uh, John Holt. And he's one of the, the leaders of this. And he was one of the things he said was birds fly, fish swim, man thinks and learns. It's something we naturally do. So this, this type of homeschooling is based on that, that children are natural, natural learners. So we don't have to like sit them down the book and say, okay, now you're going to learn this. Um, so it's, it's really a way where it is often self-directed by the child. You will notice that certain children you know, are naturally drawn to certain things. You'll see the little boy outside who, instead of, you know, going on the swing, he's watching the wheels of the stroller of the lady walking by to figure out how those wheels work. So that child is naturally drawn to the way things work. Um, another child may be looking up at the sky and looking at all the clouds and the colors and that sort of thing. And maybe they are drawn to things that are artistic or whatever. So it's very much driven by the interests of the, of the child. Um, it's uh, unschooling is definitely legal because it is, it is learning. And um, it's, like I said, it's really based on self-directed of the child. Now, does the parent have no uh, input? or any input. Absolutely. Um, the parent, so if the child has an interest, let's say in volcanoes, the parent might be able to direct them to, oh, here's some books of volcanoes. And then the child goes ahead and reads them. Or the child might want to discuss uh, certain things and ask questions. And maybe they'll be doing a Google search together online. So it's often driven by the 
the questions and the interests of the child, but the parent definitely plays an active role in helping direct the child uh, towards their interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I recently uh, learned about unschooling, uh, because I, I had that same mis- uh, misconception too for a long time, but John Holt, I, I did know his name as an early proponent of the modern homeschooling uh, movement. And he, unschooling, interestingly, a little bit of history, was uh, one of the first method, methodologies offered of homeschooling because it was such an extreme response to what was going on in the classroom. And, and John Holt's uh, motivation or approach was that this is clearly not, lear- not working. So it was kind of the uh, pendulum swinging the opposite way. And uh, he just, he was, you know, to the delight directed and the interest led and all that stuff. But uh, yes, it is not (laughs) the parents backing out. That's not unschooling. All right, what you got next? Well, I was gonna mention another thing, the unschooling as the child gets older, um, oftentimes there will be an incorporation of more um, subjects like math or languages is a huge one. Um, so it doesn't mean there's no curriculum or more, no academic books utilized, but it's again, usually driven by the child. And as they get older, some of that stuff will be incorporated into, into Mm -hmm. the, based on the interests. So, and I think I wouldn't swear to this, but I think the notebooking concept was, came from unschooling. And basically the notebooking concept is that your child has a a notebook, a blank notebook that they start at the beginning of the year. And as they do research on, you know, say uh, science, biology, whatever the subject is, they uh, use the notebook to incorporate uh, the results of their research. So they may use, you know, do drawings in there. I had a, a friend of mine who taught her son he became a doc, ended up becoming a doctor, but his biology, uh, the year in high school when he studied biology, he did the notebooking method. And he had a piece of work when he was finished. He had all the organs and systems design, you know, drawn, hand drawn out. He had research on, from all different, you know, sources that he had put together in his notebook. And that was the result of his learning. And it was certainly a, uh, it, just, it was an amazing piece of work. So it's not something to laugh at, you know, or to mm-hmm. just off the cuff mm-hmm. dismiss. Okay. All right. What do we have next, Tracy? Mm, well, eclectic homeschooling, which is basically means you can use a combination of homeschooling methods. And I have to say that was definitely us. We, every year we were looking for different stuff, just trying to change it up, trying to figure out what fit with our, our children's learning styles. Um, sometimes we just got bored with the material because, you know, we had done a couple of the kids and it was like, you know, my youngest daughter had heard in the background, you know, what they were learning and she wanted to do a different, uh, you know, Shakespeare play or whatever it was. So eclectic is just taking a combination of those. And I'll be honest with you. I think that's what a lot of homeschoolers do. They really use a mix of methods and, and, you know, just to make keep it interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly my experience. That the longer you homeschool, the more you end up gravitating toward that elect- eclectic. Because as you discover your kids' learning styles and your learning style and your teaching style, you're gonna you just naturally organically do tweaks, and you feel more confident as a educator and as a parent, and you feel more comfortable doing those tweaks. And so you realize that learning isn't 
restricted to one method or one approach? Um, the other one is homeschooling using uh, unit studies, <clears throat> which was one of our favorites. Um, and uh, in another uh, podcast, we talked about different um, curriculum. So one of the things we used was something called Adventures in Learning, uh, which we absolutely loved because it was a, everything was done by a unit of, uh, um, sorry, a historical moment in time, basically. So let's say we were learning about Egypt, all of our language arts sheets that they'd be working on would all be, you know, sentences about, you know, the ancient Egyptians. And then we, they'd be, let's say, writing a play and it would be, you know, again, writing about the ancient, researching some of the things the ancient Egyptians were involved in. And then maybe they'd be making costumes from the time period. And we'd all always have at the end of a unit study, which would usually go over a few months for us, mm. like could be four months that we're just studying ancient Egypt, let's say. Um, at the end of a unit, we would have um, a big feast and we would make foods from the time period. And all the literature that we read were all based on that time period. So they might be um, fiction, but again, fiction that was based on a story written about ancient Egypt. So everything was included. The only exception to this would be like math. Um, I don't know really how you include that unless yeah. maybe you're, you're counting how many <laughs> stones it took them to make the pyramids or something. I don't know, <laughs> but math would be outside of that or language was, would be outside of that, but every other subject, geography, uh, language mm -hmm. arts, writing, reading, um, you know, all of that would be combined and, uh, some, you know, some moms are great. They'll go to the library and they'll just put a unit study together on a particular topic, um, I love the learning adventures because it was all done for you. I mm -hmm. could just open it up and say, oh, okay, today, this is what we're learning about. And these are the books we're using. And these are the questions to ask your kids about those books. So I found that easy. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's really great about learning through unit studies is it's really good when you have multiple ages. Absolutely. So large families, you know, all the kids are sitting there learning um, the same material and maybe um, implementing it a little differently. So uh, an example of that is when we were learning about um, uh, ancient Egypt, I know my daughter was sitting there with Play-Doh making coins mm -hmm. <laughs> out of, out of the Play-Doh. And then my other daughter was sitting there and she had all kinds of beads and she was trying to mimic some of the, you know, big gaudy jewelry and stuff that they would wear. So she was making stuff with wire and, and beads and, to mimic that. And then my, my son was building um, pyramids out of Lego. So they were all sitting at the table, learn listening to whatever we were um, learning about, but they were also all doing something hands on mm -hmm. at their level. Um, so U unit studies tend to be very hands on or, or you're able to incorporate it at least as of it. So uh, I guess the great-grandfather of unit studies was a program called KONOS, K-O-N-O-S. It was a three volume, really thick three volumes uh, and divided, divided them up to like more basic kind of unit studies to high school level over the course of the, the uh, curriculum, over the course of the books. And they, they were based, their unit studies were based on character traits. That's what, how we got started with unit studies. Uh, but again, like, like Tracy said, you opened it up it laid everything out, lots of hands-on projects. And that helped because even though you, you, know, you might know you wanna do something creative in your homeschool, 
depending on what the topic is, you think, well, what am I going to do for that? And these gave you a ton of ideas. You didn't have to do all of them or any of them, even if you had something else, but you know, the, the material was there. So that was very helpful. Um, and those were, those were wonderful unit studies. But and the, the thing is, the Konos ones were shorter ones. So if you think, you know, like a semester of Egypt is just kind of overwhelming to you, you know, these were like, some of them were two week, one week, and you, based on character traits and uh, very, very, I, lo I loved them. I still have, you know, 25 years later after starting <laughs> homeschool, I still have our Konos books. I can't get rid of them. <laughs> They're just, they're just, some things are just too good. Too I know, good. I know. Yeah. So um, that's unit studies. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte Mason, that is another uh, big, big thing, especially if you go on Facebook, if you're interested, there's a lot of Charlotte Mason activities. There's a friend of mine who does, I think this is the third year in a row, does a Charlotte Mason uh, homeschool seminar, uh, more, you know, week-long seminar on Charlotte Mason and Charlotte Mason methods. And that is, uh, that's a very, that was, her thing is kind of like a gentle way of learning. Uh, short lessons, a lot of nature, walking, you know, doing stuff out in nature, a lot of reading, a lot of literature as well. Uh, it is primarily uh, geared for younger children, uh, elementary you can probably do it as, you know, for tweens, like middle school as well. But uh, it is something that's used to introduce children to, to learning and to get them help foster a love of learning. It is Christian based. Um, and there's a lot that you can find out about it. And actually in the link that we'll be giving in the show notes, you can, you know, explore it a little more as well. Yeah, there's another one. Uh, this isn't one that we use, but just so you're aware, um, because our, again, our objective today is to just present a number of different homeschooling um, styles. And then if any of them, you know, piques your interest, you can look into them further. But another one is called the Waldorf education philosophy. Um, I think it originated in the early 1900s. So it's been around for a while. Um, but it's believed that child development could be classified in in, uh, grouped into three distinct, um, uh, I want to say, uh, three distinct stages, sorry, that's the right word, stages of learning of roughly seven-year periods. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is early childhood education would focus on creative play, uh, hands-on learning, similar to Montessori, but then after that, elementary education is time to introduce academic instruction, while teaching children to increase their imagination. And also one of the things that they include in there are things about managing your emotions. Mm. So that would be in the, the second stage. And then the third stage has to do more on like critical thinking, analyzing, empathy, and also a huge um, component of community service and giving back to your community. So I believe uh, there are Waldorf schools that there's I, my understanding is there's tons in the states um there are some in canada too but it is a quite a huge um movement so that is something that if that sounds something interesting to you that you could look uh, more into and i know like we had a huge community service uh, component to our homeschooling um but i didn't know at the time that we were actually you know following one of the homeschooling styles Cause, who knew because you were doing the eclectic thing and just yeah. pulling things up <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's great 
Good. Well, that that's all the notes that I have. And as Tracy said, really, our intent was, you know, just to kind of give you a brief, as you a brief uh, overview of approaches as you may be starting to get ready for next year. I know this was the time of year that I always started preparing and planning and just exploring things. So hopefully this will be helpful to you as well. And um, Tracy, you have anything you want to want to offer anything that you missed? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say don't again, don't ever feel overwhelmed. We gave you a lot of ideas. <laughs> and no, you don't have to do all of these. Um, do what works for your family. But just know that if you are feeling bored, or the kids are, you know, want to do something a little different, um, look into them. There's so many materials already available that you don't have to reinvent anything. So if any of these pique your interest, I, I encourage you to look into them or, you know, even have your kids as a project, look into them and see mm -hmm. what they might want to do for the next. Yes. Year. As they go, get older, it's a great way to have them assume ownership of their own education. So that's a, that's a great idea. All right. Well, to, thank you everybody for uh, your time this week. If this was helpful for you, we'd certainly appreciate a rate or and a review wherever you are uh, listening to this, wherever you found us. Tune in next week as we talk about summer learning and different things that you can do to keep the learning alive during the summer. We're looking forward to sharing you, uh, with you some ideas for that. And in the meantime, let us leave you with this reminder, friends. Remember, Take you can homeschool and it can be awesome. <laughs> That's right. All right, we'll see you all next week. Take care, bye-bye. Well, that wraps up another episode of the You Can Homeschool podcast. Thanks for joining us for another candid conversation. For more information on life-changing books, courses, and coaching services, or if you have a homeschooling topic you'd like to hear discussed in a show, check our show notes for how to reach out to Pat and Tracy. 